You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on? You are tuned into the Decoding Success Podcast with your host, Matt Labrie, bringing you episode 52 of our show. Today, we are joined by a trailblazer. This woman blew me away within just a few minutes of our conversation, so I am thrilled to share her point of view, her values, her experiences, her insights with all of you that are tuned in today. But before introducing today's guest, I want to give a huge shout out to our podcast partner, Audible. All of us have net time, right? All of us have that time that can be capitalized in between the things we're doing, like being on the treadmill or hitting the weights, laying on the beach now that summer's here, commuting to work or traveling on a plane to go on vacation, whatever the case is, Audible gives us the opportunity to capitalize on those moments. Listening to podcasts are great, but what about diving into a book? Audible teamed up with us here at Decoding Success to provide all of our listeners a free audiobook of your choice. There are no strings attached. All you have to do is head over to Audible audibletrial.com forward slash decoding success while supplies last. And now, today, we are joined by a four-time founder, Forbes 30 Under 30 headliner, and the CEO and founder of Perksy, Nadia Genevieve Masri. Her venture, Perksy, is a next-gen market intelligence platform that conducts real-time research with millennial and Gen Z audiences through mobile. With a fresh take on understanding the habits, behaviors, and preferences of Gen Y and Z consumers, Nadia is redefining market research for the mobile generation by making feedback the favorite form of engagement. Prior to Perksy, Nadia founded three other companies before studying psychology and marketing at Harvard, which she left early to build Perksy. Nadia is passionate about product innovation, design, and neuroscience. When she isn't studying human behavior, you'll find her front row at New York Fashion Week or courtside at MSG. Now, I'm really excited to amplify Nadia's message, so without further Further ado, let's hop right into it. Nadia, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I'm grateful that you are joining us and I cannot wait to decode your success. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm very, very happy to be here. For sure. So first question straight off the bat is how do you personally define success? I would define success based on, you know, I, to me, it's not really a destination. It's more of an actual journey. So it's the process. Um, to me, success looks like people being, I, I mean, in my case, people being satisfied with the work that they're doing at your company. Um, so I, I really view it in terms of the people that I directly manage. To me, that's, that's success because it means that you're doing something right. I think success is how I'm performing as a leader. And success is me always hitting the the shorter term goals that I set for myself. So almost treating it as a checklist. I think every time I take an item off that checklist, that's how I define my own success. I really love that. Now, you, you know, you mentioned a word, you said journey. And uh, one thing that I've been doing this year is kind of changing my mindset from going to someone that's satisfied when I achieve my goals, as opposed to someone that is satisfied with the journey regardless of what happens. You know, and it's not necessarily just accepting what happens to me because I'm a big uh, Peter Drucker fan and I love his quote about being able to predict the future is the best way to create it. So what is your what is your take on in regard to falling in love with the journey as opposed to just, oh, let me hit all these milestones? You know, asking 
about the definition of success versus enjoyment of the journey. I feel like those are, are two different things. I mean, I love the work that I do. It just so happens that in the world that we're in, um, there, there needs to be measurement. And for me, that, that currency happens to be success and it happens to be achieving certain milestones. But um, the way that I see it is I enjoy the process nonetheless. I've learned that you need to enjoy that journey in order to be happy because it's really difficult. I mean, being a founder and being an entrepreneur is very, very tough. And if you don't enjoy the journey, I think that you sort of lose lose the enjoyment of it all and it becomes more difficult to do the work that you set out to do. So I think being passionate, um, loving the work that you're doing and appreciating every single bit of the process makes a huge difference. Like for me, um, you know, I'm a bit nerdy. I like to do things like just for fun. Like I once read part of the IRS handbook. That's one of those things that's kind of relevant to work. It was really helpful in my job, but I, I generally enjoyed doing it. And I think that's just because I'm fascinated with various processes and, and the way things work. Um, and I enjoyed it. And I remember telling someone about this recently and they were like, well, man, that sucks. Like, that's what, that's what you did. Like one time after work, that's what you did. I'm like, you know, I know it sounds strange to you, but I kind of loved it. Um, and so I think when you have the right mindset and you have this mindset of just loving what you're doing, no matter what it is, I don't think that's a large scale thing. I think it's also the small things. You have to love the small things and find pleasure and enjoyment in them. Um, there's an old Andy Warhol quote that I once heard um, that really resonated. It's, it says, um, you have to let the things that would ordinarily bore you suddenly thrill you. And I think taking that attitude and approach, it's made it that much more enjoyable. I love that. And I love that quote as well. Now, how do you find yourself staying on track or getting back on track whenever you may fall off of it in regards to achieving that definition of success? I think it's less about falling off track and more about getting distracted. I think it's easy to get distracted sometimes um, in two different ways. Um, one way is with things that don't matter. And the other is with things that don't matter today. Um, I think that's all part of the, the journey, though. It's, it's part of the entrepreneurial process, just like learning um, how to differentiate between those two things. Sometimes I get very, very enamored with the concept of something that we could do in a business that, you know, upon reflection, um, and, and also with a very good team that helps keep you on track, um, which, you know, my, my head of product does very, very well. Um, it's refocusing and, and asking yourself the right questions. I think constantly asking yourself why um, and framing the right questions for yourself really helps you stay focused and stay on track. So asking myself, why am I doing this? When does this matter? Does this matter today or does it matter tomorrow? Um, am I jumping the gun? Am I making the right decisions for right now? But, you know, there are a few times where I've noticed that I've gotten distracted with something that could be, you know, taking a week to spend more time on on something creative, a, a more creative project. I've also learned that sometimes we define distraction incorrectly. Um, we need to ask ourselves what we're being distracted from. I found that that week that I spent being ultra creative and, and working on a project that ultimately we didn't end up using. It was, it was like a marketing video. Um, I, was, I was designing one and teaching myself how to, how to edit video and, and put together great content. I found that it actually recharged me. Um, and what that taught me was that sometimes the right kind of distraction is necessary for you to be focused in 
other realms, so in, in other ways. So, you know, I would say that I do that. It's very, very important to, to hold yourself accountable. I think sometimes when you're the founder and the CEO, um, you're not really, you're not technically accountable to anyone else. I mean, you are accountable to your investors, absolutely. But I mean, on the day-to-day, um, you're the one that really has to set the tone for what work you're going to be doing and, and making sure that you're working on the right things and not getting distracted um, or quote unquote, as, as you said, um, you know, falling off the horse. Um, I think, you know, having the right people around you that can help, you know, help validate what you're working on or help um, ensure that you're staying on track is really useful. I think in, you know, my second business, you know, when I was a lot younger, you know, I was 19 running a media company in New York. Um, I think I did that less. Um, and I, I don't think I was as focused as I am today. You know, maybe you can chalk that up to age, but I also think I'm, I let a lot more people in now. Um, and I hold myself accountable by allowing myself to be accountable to others. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Now, that's all great stuff. And one thing that I really like is how you talked about having the right kind of distraction. Now, what would be your your take in regard to finding that? Does it need to be super aligned with your business as in regard to what you were doing and creating that um, promotional marketing material, you know, in regards to that video editing? But is there anything more to that? Like, what advice would you give someone that's looking for that right type of distraction? I genuinely believe that everybody is different. I think that this is something that there's no hard and fast rule. I mean, for myself, you know, I think sometimes it's hard to tear away from your work when, you know, you're so dedicated to what you do. So sometimes I, I find it a little more difficult to work on things that are not directly related to work. But it depends on how you define it. I mean, for me, sometimes there are certain podcasts that I listen to or videos that I watch that indirectly free my mind while still making me feel productive. I think sometimes for entrepreneurs, it's they want to feel constantly productive. And and I actually think that's true for a lot of people in our generation in this day and age. I think our society is obsessed with productivity. So finding things that start out as you thinking that you're being productive, but ultimately um, serving something greater, you know, the, the distraction of freeing your mind to open it up to creativity and exploration. I, I think those things can be found in in very serendipitous ways. So, you know, I found that creative break by thinking I was building something initially for realizing that that was my mental break and that was my way to refocus. For sure. Yeah, no, I love that. Now, I want to transition into your journey. And one thing that we both have in common was the fact that uh, you you got involved in business at a very young age. I did the same. Now I'm curious, what was it that made you catch that entrepreneurial bug? You know, I, I think about this a lot. I think it started out when I was younger, even before I started my first business at 17. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I actually started a gift basket company. Um, and I also used to buy wholesale goods from China, um, specifically jewelry. And I used to resell them to my friends. I had like a photo bucket store. I don't know if you remember the image. I do. To a photo bucket. But it allowed you to um, upload these images and actually these web albums came out. It was it became a Google product eventually. But I used to put all the photos in there and, and sell some of the stuff. I think I just enjoyed the concept of creating value for others and being able to deliver that value in really unique and surprising ways. Um, I think when it came to starting my first real business when I was 17, um, in my first year of college, I I um, bought a, a franchise and it was for a painting company, it was a local business. And for me, I think that what was 
the most interesting was figuring out how to do things. I think I said this before, but I love processes. So I love the concept of figuring out how do you create a business? How do you register something? How do you, you know, almost like how do you make it official? And then how do you sell a product or service? And how do you market it? I mean, all those processes to me were fascinating, but I love the concept too of creating something from nothing. And that's why I think entrepreneurs are, are bred from, you know, a variety of backgrounds. I think you can be, you know, an artist who becomes an entrepreneur. You can become a becomes an entrepreneur. You can become a teacher um, who then becomes an entrepreneur. I really just think it's this, this concept of bringing something to life when that thing did not exist before. Um, and once I realized that, I'm not even sure if I realized it at the time, I think I, I realized it maybe uh, maybe at the beginning of, of this journey, my fourth company, um, I think that's that's what I realized that I love to do, create something and bring it to the world and figure out ways to make it work. Yeah, I love looking at entrepreneurship like that. And, you know, that brings me to this question. I'm curious, what, knowing what you know now, you know, what advice would you give that 17-year-old self? I would say, I would extol the importance of failure. Um, I think my 17-year-old self wasn't well acquainted with the concept of failure. And I, I mean, just given that, you know, when you're 17, there, there aren't that many things that you've done on a larger scale that I think really, um, really acquaint you with failure. I will say that, you know, for my second business, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. We, we built a lot of hype. Um, we built an incredible product, um, amazing networks. But I mean, I think at the time I defined um, my second business not working the way I wanted it to um, as a massive failure. I don't see it that way today. I think I would tell my 17-year-old self that failure is an important stepping stone um, to getting to the next phase. I think every next level of your life demands a different you, um, and failure helps teach that. You know, I'll say I wouldn't be the kind of entrepreneur I am today had I not experienced my own fair share of failure. And strangely enough, I've never experienced failure in the same way since. Um, failure made me sharper. Uh, failure helped me develop foresight so I could see well in advance when to pivot and when to persevere. Um, but most importantly, I think failure taught me how to win. No, definitely. I, I mean, just thinking about my failures right now, they've really shaped me to be who I am today. But you know, all of this is easier said than done. So, you know, going into business, clearly, you know, there, there's really two outcomes, either you're going to succeed or you're going to fail. And I think that's part of, you know, the the journey and uh, Brandon Steiner, who's an amazing individual who hopped on the show, he really dives into it and, you know, kind of just accepting that it's part of the journey. But how do you find yourself accepting that, right? Is it something that you need to go through first? Or maybe someone that's, you know, in high school listening to this now, and they're like, wow, like, you know, that, that's maybe not something I want to do because I just want to succeed. You know, what's your advice for someone in regard to opening up to, yeah, essentially opening up to failure? Well, you know, I think that, that's a great question. I think at that age, I hadn't really been reading stories of failure. Um, I think our our generation and, and even society today has become um, more open to failure. And I think now we have podcasts, we have, you know, we have YouTube, we have TED Talks, we have resources that allow us to, um, explore and, and learn from other people's stories and their journeys. I think when I was 17, you know, access to information, despite having, you know, we have the internet, we had access to information, but I don't think the same um, content was out there. There was no content for me to read to teach me that, you know, all these, these great success stories you know, stemmed from some type of failure, that these amazing people I was reading about, that they had experienced their own failures. Um, so, you know, 
onto that point, I'd only read success stories. So to me, failure didn't even play a part in, in that, that, that journey to success. I think that not having the same access to the information that I have today, I think that made it more difficult for me to uh, learn about the failure, had access to these TED Talks and these podcasts and these YouTube videos and all the content that's available to us today. Um, I didn't really understand the concept of failure playing a critical role in the journey to success. And I think had I had that access, I may have looked at failure a little differently. And I think today, young people, um, well, people of all ages, really, but, you know, especially using your your reference to a high school student listening, um, I think young people have access to information that shows them that the path to success is 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 riddled with failure. <laughs> um, and telling my 17-year-old self that, uh, I think I would have listened if I would have had the opportunity to learn from, explore, and hear these stories of failure leading to success um, from the people uh, whom I deeply admired. Obviously, what you've been through in life has brought you to the successes you continue to achieve today, one of which is founding Perksy, which is amazing. How did you find yourself coming up with this idea? Yeah. Um, so with Perksy, I feel like it was everything that I've ever done um, coming to sort of coming together. So I've always been fascinated by people, why they do the things they do and what drives their behavior. Um, and when I went back to school, uh, I was taking, you know, psychology classes and a few neuroscience classes and everything from American law to marketing management. And it was in that marketing management class that I learned about market research. And I thought, wow, there's, there's really got to be a better way. So the way that I saw it was I would love to give brands feedback. And I know some of my peers would too. Um, but there's no real authentic way to do it for, for us to have that connection point with brands. And the more I learned about the brand side, the more I learned that, you know, brands are looking for ways to connect with their audience um, and understand them in, in real time. So the idea hit me while I was on campus and I discovered that the guys' football team, um, they were participating in these these weekend studies uh, for, you know, 300 bucks a study. Uh, you know, there's an opportunity here on both sides. Um, so once I decided that I wanted to do it and validated my concept through, you know, a project I actually did for that course. Um, I packed my bags, moved to San Francisco and was like, all right, total immersion. Let's figure out how to build this, this product, better understand the market and, and get, get set on this, uh, on this road. Now there is most definitely sacrifice that comes about with that. That is amazing. And that must've taken, you know, and a crazy amount of courage to, to just pick up and go like that. You know, what, what triggered that? And how did you find yourself mustering that up? Yeah, so I think it does speak to an internal drive. Um, I mean, the courage to muster it up, I think I've always, I've always been extraordinarily driven. It's, it's one of the things I, I really take pride in. Uh, one of those qualities um, I, I, I really appreciate about myself. Um, I think that paired with the understanding that I would have to make sacrifices. So I love telling entrepreneurs um, that there is a lot of sacrifice that comes with this work. I think it's not just focusing on what you can gain, but understanding what you need to give up in the process. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with having that conversation. I just think it's important for entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs to be aware of, of what that looks like. I mean, for me, in the first two years of building my business, it meant totally immersing myself in the building of this. I mean, it, 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 like like we discussed earlier, I mean, being enamored with a journey, I think really is important there um, because 
giving up time with friends, giving up, um, you know, going to parties, giving up um, doing anything else, uh, really to focus on building your business. It's it's something that you have to do. And, and the journey is hard. There is a lot of suffering. And I don't think entrepreneurs talk about that enough. There is suffering. Um, and I think that's just sort of right in pa- right of passage. There's stress that you'll have to deal with. There are some sleepless nights. Um, sometimes there's, you know, a, a frustration that you feel or the gnawing in your stomach that comes with making hard decisions. But knowing that that exists and knowing that you're going to have to face it is important when it comes to finding the strength to do what must be done. Um, you know, I'm going to drop another quote. I think by now you might realize that I'm a huge fan of quotes. George Bernard Shaw said, just do what must be done. This may not be happiness, but this is greatness. Um, while I disagree with him on the happiness side, uh, because I truly believe that um, when you're doing what you love, that's where you find joy, doing what must be done. You might not have find happiness in that moment. Making the decisions you have to make and finding the strength to to be who you need to be, not just for yourself, not just for your people, but for your business. Um, I think that's where true joy comes in. And I think that's where you you actually find your strength. Totally. Now, as a woman in tech and as a woman in business generally, there are some hurdles and definitely some challenges that come about with that. How do you find yourself handling them? So I feel like this is always a tough one to tackle because for me, and I believe this about everyone, I believe that we can only speak to our own individual experiences. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of female founders um, and found that they've had similar experiences. I think they've mostly come in the fundraising, um, you know, some things like that. But I will also say that I don't think I've spoken to as many male founders as I have female founders. So I can't speak with absolute certainty about, you know, the shared or unshared trials and tribulations. Um, you know, but I will say that there have been times where um, I've been confused for uh, someone else in the company and not the founder. Um, I, I've also found that, you know, it, it was tough to to raise funding early on, um, I think prior to launching the company. Um, I think that, you know, I'll I'll just speak to to sort of a collective opinion that I've gathered. I think that maybe as a female early on, it was tougher to raise before I had the data points to prove that I could do um, what I said I was going to do. I think now it's a little more clear, um, especially, you know, after launching, um, you know, after one year, we, we recently just closed a $4 million round led by Bain Capital Ventures. There were a lot more data points there um, and a lot more to look at. Um, and also it was a female partner who led the round, uh, Sarah Smith, who's absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, uh, five of the five out of six of the firms that participated, the deal was actually sourced by a female, um, which I, I take great pride in um, just to be a part of that. But I will say that, you know, I think that might be some of it. Um, it, it's always it's always hard to tell um, because you can only speak from an individual perspective, and that's that's what I feel to be the case um, with me. But you know, I've spoken to some other female founders that that have said the same. But I think that's starting to even out as more female partners are being brought into firms. And I genuinely believe that the solution to the, the issue at hand of of females not getting enough funding, I genuinely believe that that that's solved by having more female partners in the mix. Um, because if the concept um, is that, you know, in- investors like to invest in founders that maybe remind them of themselves, then, you know, 
when a when a male partner says, you know, that that, that young male finder founder really reminds me of me at a young age. I'd love to invest in. Them. I think that's great, but I think to also create an equal opportunity for female founders, they need to have the same experiences. And in order to get uh, basically a, the same type of experience, we would need female partners to be able to do the same. So to say, you know, you really remind me of me when I was younger and when I was getting started, you know, a lot of them have run their own companies and then saying, you know, I'm, I believe in you. I believe in what you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm going to invest in you. I, I love that. And I definitely appreciate you sharing all of that. But what about yourself specifically, not in regards to industry, right? Like, like, forget about tech, forget about business, like coming through your journey. Did you ever, as human beings, we do, um, you know, have self-deprecating thoughts and things of that nature. How do you find yourself coping with that? Because I feel like a lot of people, uh, they, they stop, you know, maybe someone has imposter syndrome. And I'm speaking from experience. Last night, I was speaking at a college here in New York. And the reaction was definitely not something that I was expecting. And I kind of felt like I was an imposter. So have you ever experienced anything like that? Yeah. So I would say imposter syndrome is, is a pretty popular one among founders. I think it's definitely true for me. Given, I was given the honor of, of making the Forbes 30 under 30 list um, for the class of 2019. And I remember you know, being told that I was going to make the list and I did not believe it until the date that it launched. Um, you know, I was like, you know, what if they realize that I'm not as interesting as they think I am? <laughs> what, if, what, if, what if they realize that, you know, maybe what I've done is, isn't as exciting. And I think that, I think that it's, um, it's interesting. Maybe we don't give ourselves enough credit for the work that we do, but I guess it's just because when you're, when you're building something, you're looking so far in advance that to me, the person I want to be, um, you know, I'm very proud of of the person I am today, but I feel like there's just so much more. Um, There's so much more that I want to become. There's so much more that I want to achieve. And so I feel like sometimes it's hard to, to see that, but I I also think that the world has a way of balancing things out. Maybe imposter syndrome is is almost healthy on some level. Um, It reminds us that, you know, we're just, everything that you do, you know, every human is a human and, you know, being defined by our achievements um, isn't necessarily how we should look at at one another and, and each other by the the core values that we hold, the integrity that we have in the way that we treat others. Um, so maybe imposter syndrome is a good thing. Uh, but I would say that um, sometimes I think the issue is the feeling that I'm not doing enough. Um, so I, I constantly battle with that. Uh, I think, you know, I, I definitely have a type A personality. I am a, a bit achieving, um, maybe overachieving, some would say. And so I'm, I'm constantly faced with this, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? But having the right mentors in your life really helps. Um, you know, the partners that uh, we chose to, to be a part of this round, they've been phenomenal in, you know, helping us with that and helping me with that and, you know, helping me realize that I'm right on track. I'm exactly where I need to be. Um, and keeping that healthy balance of, you know, been where you are and where you want to go. Um, is incredibly important on the journey of entrepreneurship. You know, that's a constant reminder I always give myself is that I am in the right place at the right time, no matter how I feel. I think that's uh, really big. Now, Nadia, I always wrap this show up with two questions. The first one being, what was a piece of advice that you've been given that you didn't want to hear that's proven to be true over time? I would say having work-life balance. <laughs> it's not something that I was well acquainted with. 
Um, I've started taking a little more time for myself. At first, I it gave me anxiety. Um, I, I went on my first vacation. Um, so at 27, I went on my first vacation last year. In June of 2018, I took a week after um, we participated in the Canline Startup Academy. I took a week to explore, um, you know, the south of France. And the first three days, I was so anxious. I was like, I need to be doing more. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing enough. I'm not on email. I'm not on Slack. Try and sneak on Slack, and my team would kick me off, being like, Hey, we see you on Slack. Get off. <laughs> um, it made me very uncomfortable, but. When I sort of found my footing and, and eased into it, the the following days were so freeing and were, I realized ended up being so healthy for me. I came back to work completely energized, completely recharged, and it really taught me the value of taking time off. And I used to feel guilty. I still think I do. Even having that experience, I still sometimes feel guilty when I take a couple of days off. So I'm, I'm, I'm still learning how to really balance that out. I, I wouldn't say I have all the answers yet. I'm still learning how to do that um, and take more time for myself. But I can say that I experienced it firsthand and experienced how important it was. And I'm still trying my best to listen to everyone who gives me that advice. Um, at first, I didn't believe it when I first heard it. Um, I've come to learn that it is... Um, it's undeniably true. Yeah, I think work-life balance is most definitely something that is continuously, um, you know, adjusting over the course of our personal journeys. I know my quote-unquote balance to work-life has definitely changed over the course of the past few months. But I'm curious, another thing that we have in common is that we were both in the south of France this summer. Where were you? Awesome. Um, so I started in Cannes um, and then I went to... Um, uh, niece uh, to check out um, uh, Monaco for a day, which was very cool. I've never seen buildings like that in so many colors. It was amazing. And then there was this, uh, I did stop in Ez for a bit and just, I, I just spent some time throughout the, the entire coast. It was, it was amazing. I found this spot, amazing Airbnb. It was right next to the Picasso Museum in Antibes. And Antibes was my absolute favorite. Um, and, and I also add, I was there alone. It, so it was the first time I'd ever taken a trip alone too, which I highly recommend everyone should do. Um, because you really, you know, when, when you don't have as much distraction, um, you don't have other people there that, that you're, you're in conversation with all day. It's very free. Um, and you really get to spend some time with yourself. And, you know, I highly recommend that anyone who wants to do that, you know, take a journal and genuinely reflect so reflect on what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Like the fact that I felt anxious um, was something that I was like, I, I can't believe I feel this way. Um, what's wrong with me? But it was amazing because it, it really it forced me to dig a little deeper into why do I feel anxious? You know, why why do I feel like I need to be working right now? Why aren't I allowing myself to have the freedom um, to recharge when I know that it's something that's good and healthy for me and ultimately good for my business? Um, so that's what I did. Where did you go? I was all over. I did a 15 day Euro trip. So my, my family is from, um, my family's from France and Italy. So I started in Paris, but then I made my way down. I did Saint-Tropez, Nice, Cannes, Antibes, uh, Monaco. So we were, we were all over. It's absolutely beautiful. And you know, what's crazy. Like you're talking about having or experiencing anxiety during that you know, during your trip, I was the exact same way. I remember sitting in Sauce Cafe in Monaco with two of my buddies and 
Like I, I couldn't even enjoy my meal. And it was because I was doing absolutely no work. And at this time, I was still managing content for Damon John of Shark Tank. And I just felt like I was so disconnected from that. And like, I just felt like I needed to be doing something that I didn't necessarily enjoy myself to the fullest, although I enjoyed myself a whole ton. It was amazing. But I, I could relate to that on so many levels. And I'm definitely going to, you know, try traveling alone. It's something I told myself to do for a very long time. So I respect that you did that. And I definitely appreciate you sharing that for sure. Yeah, I would, I would also just add, you know, escape is not a bad word. And I think people treat it as, as such. But in this day and age, we're taught that, you know, escaping is a bad thing to do, almost a negative thing. Even the new waves of self-help and psychology tell us that we need to develop grit, resilience, perseverance, and face challenges and difficulties head on. And while that's true, you know, I, and I agree with those things, I think escape is, is important. You know, we're taught that we need to have strength and to handle difficulty with grace and dignity, but hardship is hardly graceful and rarely dignifying. Um, I consider myself a very gritty individual, um, and I'm very resilient. And I think that form of escape is healthy because it's not external escape. It's not running away. It's, it's looking in. Um, and, and I do think that the desire to escape is a biological imperative that exists to protect us and let us know when we need to get away, um, when we need to protect ourselves from something harsher. And resilience is a funny thing because with the books and that tell us that to stand and fight through it all, you know, even sometimes when our brains tell us otherwise, I think that's our, our brain's way of telling us, step back, you know, take a breath and and think about what you need to do because i think that's the true way to make sure that 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 you're you're doing what you need to do and taking care of yourself i don't think resilience is making sure you never fall resilience is getting back up with skinned knees and dried blood even after you've taken a rough tumble um it's staring someone in the face you know after you know making a total fool of yourself and a mess of things it's it's trying again even after the last attempt left you gutted but I don't think resilience is is not allowing yourself to feel the things that you need to feel. Take a step back and take care of yourself. Um, and so I think that this concept of escape needs to be redefined, and it needs to be redefined in a, a sort of rebranded in a positive light. Um, so I encourage more people to escape, to escape into themselves, um, to take some time to 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 sort of escape and. and and be creative, feel the things you need to feel and, and come back resilient. A hundred percent. And you can never go wrong with travel or uh, however else you want to escape. Even if it's, you know, taking a full day for yourself. You know, I, I personally disconnect on Sundays. I totally turn my phone off. Uh, I go, listen, I'm, I'm a man of faith. I go to church. I go to the gym. Sometimes I'll go get a massage and I have no phone on me. It is the yeah. most relaxing thing to just be able to move at my own pace not know what anyone else is doing, not know, um, you know, how many downloads a podcast episodes getting or um, who's booking me for a speaking engagement. Like it is absolutely amazing. So I could definitely resonate with all of that. Now, to wrap this up, one last question. If an individual came up to you on the street and they were asking for a piece of advice to achieve their personal definition of success, what advice would you give them? I would say... Figure out the person that you want to be and how you'd like to look at yourself, whether that's defined with or without goal-oriented uh, you know, achievement um, is, is up to you. 
Um, but I think really defining the kind of person that you want to be and being honest with yourself in that definition. I think sometimes people say that they want to be successful and their um, their interpretation of success or their vision of success is someone that isn't necessarily in line with the you know, their core values. So I say like, you know, don't put on a show or feel like you need to be a great pretender um, because the only person you'll mislead is yourself. I think trusting yourself in the nature of your decisions um, helps define the kind of person that you want to be. And when you are the person that you want to be, I think that's when you're the most successful. And I think that, you know, if you say, I want to be the greatest product leader, if your core values and your modus operandus are clearly defined and you're behaving in a way that's in accordance with those values and that MO, I think you will achieve success by your own definition. And honestly, I believe by by everyone else's standards. Um, I mean, because, you know, that that's really how I, how we look at it you know, being the person that you you actually want to be. And I know that sounds a bit cliche and, and, and might sound a bit cheesy, but I don't think enough people think about it from a true and real perspective. It's not like, well, I want to be like the person I, I saw on the cover of Forbes this month. It's, you know, you might want to have similar achievements from the measurable perspective, but, you know, I don't think we're, we're well acquainted with, you know, who that person might be. So defining who you want to be for yourself, I think that's the true way to achieve success. Yes, yes. Clarity on who you are and who you want to become. Self-awareness. I think that is absolutely huge. And I definitely appreciate you sharing that. Now, Nadia, where could people keep up with you on social media and things of that nature? Um, so on Twitter and on Instagram. So my handle is at Nadia Jamasri. That's N-A-D-I-A-G-E-N-M-A-S-R-I. Um, and I love when people DM me. So that, that's honestly like one of my favorite things. Um, so happy to talk to anybody, but that's where you can mostly keep up with things. I would personally say that, um, well, I don't want to say it's real life because it's Instagram ever real life, but that's where it was some of the stuff that I'm up to, um, you know, the highlight reel of a millennial. Um, but that's where you can keep up with me. Awesome. I definitely appreciate you hopping on the show. You definitely added a ton of value. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And there you have it. This conversation with Nadia was jam-packed with relatable value, insights, experiences, lessons, and all of that. Everything from talking about the journey of success and actually one that really struck a chord was her point of view on imposter syndrome, the importance of mentors, the power of escape. And as I always do, the one that hit home the most was what we discussed at the end, defining who you want to be for yourself. And here's why. We are so emerged in what society defines and deems successful, right? We see it on social media all of the time. We see it in movies. We read about it in the news. We read about it in our books. We're all guilty of it, at least from time to time. And that shapes us, not necessarily in a way that is aligned with our core values and beliefs. So I highly suggest connecting with yourself after this episode, pen and pad it, and just connect to make sure you're in alignment with who you truly are and who you want to blossom into for you. And another highly suggested action item is connecting with Nadia on social. Slide in the DMs. She encouraged it. Give her a follow. Keep up with her company, Perksy. She's really crushing it right now, and she's always been crushing it, but she's getting the well-deserved recognition she has earned, and I'm so grateful she hopped on the show to provide all of the things just mentioned. And as always, if you haven't, I would love to hear your takeaways from this episode, so hit me on social. You know where to find me. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, 
Instagram. I'm actually on LinkedIn a ton right now. It's just at M-A-T-T underscore L-E-B-R-I-S. Lastly, if this episode struck a chord for you, share it with someone on your team, in your circle, a coworker, family member, lifelong friend, your grandma, whomever. There is no better gift than passing on wisdom and knowledge. I promise they'll be grateful for it. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.